Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. I'll start out, let's read the first two verses, then we'll pray, and then let's talk a little bit. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, I like that, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for these letters that you've given us in these, in these wonderful pages of Scripture, Lord, that are so relevant to us today. And Lord, how we need this page to speak to us, how we need this book to be speaking to us. Lord, let this letter over the next weeks, months, years, however long it takes to get through it, Lord, speak to all of our hearts in a very real and powerful way, just as it did, I'm sure, to the Philippian believers in that day. Lord, the joy, the encouragement the disciplining challenges that come through this book, they all speak to us, Lord, but how we need this for this time in our lives. How we praise you this morning. Let your Holy Spirit reign supreme in this place, speaking to each and every one of us. And help my words to be your words. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people pray. Amen. I got to tell you, I can think of no better book to study right now. I, I, I originally said we were going to uh, move into the book of First Timothy and kind of move our way through a lot of issues that deal with how church works and leadership in church works, and we will get to that. But the Lord just, I, I think it was when I started preparing for the men's retreat, and the Lord was putting Philippians on my heart for the men, and I didn't get past the first two verses, just so you know, although you're not surprised by that, you know. Um, but as I was putting that together, I didn't even think about the fact that maybe I should teach it here. And I started preparing Timothy, and the more I was doing that, the more I kept getting drawn back to Philippians. And I I don't remember, it might have been my wife that said, I really think you ought to think about that book, because we could really use the encouragement that comes out of that book. It is such an encouraging book. I mean, Paul is going to rebuke them for a couple of things, but he does it in such a very mild way. This book is really one about joy and encouragement and and blessing, and, and boy, we just, we need that spoken in our lives right now. And so let's go there. I... I want to give you a little bit of background, you know, as we approach this book. Obviously, he's writing to the people who live in the city of Philippi. Paul's writing this book to them. The city of Philippi is located in the northeastern uh, section of Greece, which at that time would have been Macedonia. Now, the city was already ancient by the time that the, the Apostle Paul arrived there, and he arrived there around 49 um, AD. He arrived around 49 AD, and as it's you know the city was already old, its beginnings go back to the fourth century uh, before Christ when it was occupied by the Thracians. You might know the Thracian Empire, but the Thracians. And in 356 uh, BC, Philip II of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, took over the city and named it after himself. He eventually established it as a military stronghold in order to protect the lands that he already acquired and and nearby gold mines, which yielded him yearly 1,000 talents, and and it also served as an important land route across Asia. Now, in 168 BC, Philippi became part of the Roman Empire when, when the Romans defeated the Persians at the Battle of Pydna. 
And the Romans subsequently divided Macedonia into four districts, Philippi belonging to the first district. Philippi is also famous for one historic event in particular, which took place in 42 B.C. Um, if any of you guys remember the movie Cleopatra, you know, the old one with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Well, Richard Burton plays Mark Anthony, right? Well, there was really a Mark Anthony in history, and he and the uh, Roman ruler Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius. Remember Brutus? And Cassius, they were the assassins, or the assassins of Julius Caesar. Well, they defeat them at the Battle of Philippi. And then later in 31 BC, Octavian defeats Mark Anthony because they end up at odds together. And Octavian defeats Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and Cleopatra at Actium. And he assumed the name Augustus and he rebuilt the city of Philippi. Now, he placed retired soldiers in Philippi to ensure loyalty to Rome and establish as a military outpost. And that's oftentimes what these rulers would do in Rome. They would take retirees from the military, they would give them land, they would give them homes, they would give them a retirement, and they would place them in these cities because it kept the city you know, loyal to Rome in the process. And he also gave the new colony the highest privilege obtainable by a Roman provincial municipality. And the word is the Ius Italicum. And literally what this means is that under this status, colonists could buy and own and transfer property and maintain the right to civil lawsuits, and they were also exempt from poll and land tax. So that was a big deal in that day. And in a sense, they were treated like Roman citizens, in a sense, the same kind of status and quality as Roman citizens would have. When Paul came to the city around 49 CE, uh, Philippi was an urban center at the eastern end of the plain a few miles northwest of Neapolis. And, and the people there were both Romans and Greeks, and they spoke predominantly Greek, even though Latin was the official language. Now, the church in Philippi itself, the church in Philippi was founded by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. And that account of the founding is found in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 40. We're not going to read all that. You can read the whole passage of how it happens. But I want to highlight some significant events from that passage of what happens for this church to form. First of all, Paul originally goes to Macedonia because he has a vision, a night vision. Remember, he's going to go to Asia. He's going to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit, he says, forbids him from going. And I always like that because I often relate our own walks in the Lord. Paul was a man who didn't just sit. He was in motion. And he trusted in the Lord and kept his eyes on the Lord enough that even though he was in motion, the Holy Spirit could direct him to other places, and, and he would easily go. And, and, and sometimes I, I bring that to people's attention because sometimes we have this idea about God's will being one in which I just sit until I distinctly know that God has told me to do this. Well, there are times when we need to do that. But there are also times when we simply need to go. And we need to move, but we go and we move not with an agenda of our own, but always with our eyes and our focus on the Lord so that he can close the doors and we can see that and accept that and move a different direction. And that's exactly what was happening with Paul. He had set his heart on going to these other places, but he says the Holy Spirit forbid him. Now, we don't know how. We don't know what took place. Some scholars argue it was health issues. Some argue it was political issues. I mean, we just don't know what we don't know. All we know is Paul attributes whatever the circumstances were to the Holy Spirit and says it wasn't of the Holy Spirit to go there. And so now he's in a dilemma. He wants to go to Asia. He wants to go to Bithynia. He has no idea where he's going to go. And you might recall in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it says this. Acts chapter 16 and verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. 
So the Lord, through this vision, speaks to Paul. And what he's doing is calling Paul to go to Macedonia. And Paul goes, he responds. And as a result, what ends up happening is a bridgehead is formed into the continent of Europe. This is the beginning of, of the evangelization of Europe that would follow from this point on. It begins here in this area in Philippi. Now, the account of the book of Acts tells us that when Paul arrived in the city of Philippi, he stayed there several days. Acts chapter 16, 12 tells us that. And what he found was spiritually disturbing to Paul. He found that the religious life of the people in Philippi was marked by, by idolatry and false worship practices, including emperor worship. Specifically, there, were, there was the false uh, worship of the emperors Julius and Augustus and Claudius, and there was the worship of the Egyptian gods Isis and Serapis, as well as many other deities. Now, you know, it's interesting because the book of Acts really doesn't show Paul just taken back by that. He's not at all. And you know why that is? I mean, he didn't expect anything differently. This was a colony of Rome. I mean, this was a pagan civilization. I say that to remind all of us that as we deal with things in our own culture, and we see things, sometimes we want to go, oh! my answer to people as they do that is, what did you expect? The problem for us is that we've grown up in a Christian culture, and we've watched it change in our lifetime. But I would argue what exists today is a post-Christian world in America. And that doesn't mean that God is on decline. He's certainly not on decline. He moves, and sometimes he moves most powerfully in pagan cultures. But we are clearly on the back end of something that had taken place in our nation spiritually. And now what's happening is when you take God out of the equation, guess what happens? It becomes very pagan. And all of a sudden there's a vacuum. And that vacuum gets filled with all sorts of stuff. Worship of other gods. Worship of the Eastern gods. Worship of mysticism. Worship of all sorts of things. Emperor worship. I mean, I'm sorry, whether you believe it or not, there is emperor worship going on to some degree today. Personality cults, whether it be a president or, or men in leadership, there's, there's this cult of personalities taking place. I mean, people, I read an article to you one time of people who literally believed that, that, that Barack Obama was going to be their Messiah to lead them out of slavery, you know? And there are people who still believe that today. Look, what, what should we expect? Let's not be shocked by it, but let's let that put us in motion as it did the Apostle Paul. He didn't run. He didn't complain. He didn't run away and say, look what these people are doing. He didn't do that. What he did instead is he looked for an opportunity to bring the light of Jesus Christ into it. Now you might say, well, you know what? Yeah, but he doesn't face what we face. If we do that, we might get hollered at and be made to move off the street corner. And maybe, maybe, just maybe somebody will try to sue us. Well, I got news for you. The Apostle Paul ends up in prison because of his bold witness while he's in this region this pagan territory. He suffered more than all of us for his faith, and yet he wasn't afraid to do it. In fact, he looks at it, and he'll say it in this letter. He sees his imprisonment as the furthering of the gospel and being able to take it to places that he wouldn't have been able to take it otherwise, including the household of the Roman emperor himself. Wow. Anybody want a prison ministry? Hey, there you go. So this is the condition, though. In fact, when the Sabbath comes, of course, Paul wants to go and he's looking for worshipers and he's figuring by now Christianity hasn't reached this place, so he'd be happy just to find worshipers of Jehovah God, the Jews. He's looking for a Jewish community. He can't find one in the city. 
which tells us right away that there weren't enough men to form a synagogue there. He, but what he does find is he finds a group of people who are meeting outside of the city. And that's where he goes. Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 tells us that there was a small group that gathered at the river for prayer on the Sabbath. Most likely it was at the, the Gangites River or the Crenides River, which is about a mile and a half from the city. And he finds a small group there. That's worshiping God. But, but secondly, Acts 13 tells us that, that that small group of worshipers was basically women that were worshiping, who were gathering there. Now, although the Greek translation of Acts 16.13 is somewhat uncertain, it does seem to imply that there were not enough men practicing Judaism for Philippi to have a synagogue of its own, because it was a requirement to have ten men in order to form a synagogue. Which tells you if these women were meeting, the men are absent. The men are just plain absent in this community. I'm not talking about in terms of Christianity. Obviously, that wasn't there yet. But even in terms of the Hebrew faith, there weren't enough men to have a synagogue. I would tell you this, the absence of men still impacts the worship of God today. Sorry to say that. Okay, glad to see you guys here this morning. Praise the Lord. I hope you're not only here physically, but you're here spiritually, because sometimes there's an absence of men, even though men are in churches, they're still absent, and their wives are impacted by it, their kids are impacted by it, they're just on autopilot, and we live in a culture where I believe men are on autopilot. God bless you ladies for not being on autopilot. It's just the truth. God bless you ladies who are willing to continue to stand in the gap when your husbands are not in the gap. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, so please don't think I have anybody in mind here, but I say that in a generic sense to the world. Guys, we need to be present, not just physically, but spiritually. We need to be the leaders of our home. We need to be the spiritual leaders of our community. We need to be the spiritual leaders in our churches. But the only way we're going to be that is if you and I have given our hearts and our lives and our whole being to Christ, and we're giving it over to Him daily, submitting to Him daily. God bless our wives for standing the gap, but let's not sit on, 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 on what they're doing spiritually and trusting that that's enough to carry us. We need to be doing this with them. We need to be in this with them. But I look around in our culture, and more and more, men are less and less present. Let's not let it be so amongst us here. So Paul has this group of women that are gathered there, and he speaks to the women who have gathered. Most notably, Acts 16 tells us that he spoke to a woman by the name of Lydia. Literally, that name means the Lydian lady. And according to Acts 16.14, Lydia was a dealer in purple. Here's what it tells us, Acts 16.14. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth. And anyone who was a seller of purple uh, cloth dealt in valued, luxurious products. The dyes used for making purple were expensive, and they were highly regarded, especially by royalty, because purple was a royal color. It's why they take the robe of purple and put it on Jesus when they're mocking him, because he claimed, you know, because of his claim to be a king, and they're mocking him as that, but they put purple on because it's a royal color. So clearly, royals would buy this. And, it tell, and, and this tells us that in a likelihood, Lydia was a woman of financial means because she was dealing in these things. And it's also implied by the fact that Paul and his, his companions stay with her and her family members. They house them while they're in Philippi. So she seems to have some financial means. 
And according to Acts 16.14, Lydia was from Thyatira, which was another predominantly Gentile city, which means that she was mostly not a Jew by background, but that she was a Gentile who had converted to Judaism. And finally, in Acts 16.14, we're told that as she listened to Paul speak, the Lord opened her heart to respond. Now, evidently, her whole household responds as well because they're all baptized together. Acts, 4, or Acts 16, 14, and 15 tell us that. In fact, verse 15, it says, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So it wasn't just she who responded, but it was her entire family that responded to Paul's message. And that would be the seed from which the church in Philippi actually arose from this woman and her family. But in addition to his encounter with Lydia, Paul had another noteworthy encounter, one that actually led to the full blossoming of the church. Acts 16, verses 16 and 18 gives us an account of an encounter Paul has with a slave girl. Now, this isn't just your typical encounter because it's going to be an encounter that triggers a series of events that are going to seem somewhat dark, but ultimately are going to lead to God doing some very powerful things. I mentioned the darkness of that again for us. Because sometimes we look at dark events, we look at dark circumstances, and we say, this is not of the Lord. Well, if Paul would have said that, and what's about to happen in this passage, then what came of it never would have happened. If Paul would have ran away saying, this is not of the Lord, and he would have sulked, or he would have ran off and moved away from it and shied away from it, what is about to happen never would have happened. Sometimes it's the dark things that are taking place that we don't see what God is doing through it because we're not Him. But God is working in the darkness. Remember, we're in a dark world. Why shouldn't we think things will be dark? Why wouldn't we think circumstances could get dark? We are in a dark world, and we're here for a reason to bring light into darkness. Even those dark circumstances that are impacting our life personally. Are you a light when darkness overshadows your personal world? Are you a light? When darkness overshadows your personal world, or do you withdraw? Do you sink down inside your own world? Do you become self-absorbed? You see, when that happens, you cease becoming a light, and then you're not being used by God for the very purpose that he wants to use you in the midst of that darkness. So these are dark events that Paul goes through, but they're events that are ordained by the Lord for an end that he's bringing about. Paul encounters this slave girl who, according to Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, let me just read it to you. It says this, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. She literally followed Paul and Silas around for many days, a possessed girl. Now, at first, they didn't realize that she was. There's clearly something in what she's doing that's, that's causing Paul to have an unsettledness in what she's saying. It sounds right, but something's not setting right, and she's following them around. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed us the way of salvation. It sounds good, doesn't it? it? Sounds good. Why would he think that there's something demonic in it? You know, I don't know if you've been there, but I've heard things cloaked in goodness. I've heard things cloaked in Jesus that I just sat there and said, there's a wrong spirit in that. That's, that's, there's just something not right about that. 
I don't know. Maybe it's the way she was doing it. Maybe it was the way she was proclaiming it. And maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just that discernment within Paul that said, you know what? It might be cloaked in good things. It might be cloaked in God, but it's not God. There's something evil taking place. Oh, that we would have that discernment. That we would have that kind of discernment. Because I think we need it today. Because I'm just telling you, everything is being cloaked in Jesus today. Every sin, every vile thing is being cloaked in the name of Jesus. I mean, political officials are doing it. They're getting up and quoting scripture. But if you don't have discernment, you don't realize that they're misquoting scripture as they do it. There are religious leaders who are getting up today in droves and they're quoting scripture and they're teaching from scriptures. And at first it sounds good, it sounds good, and it sounds good. And then suddenly, unless you have discernment, you miss that little thing they've slipped into the middle of that message that even though your ears didn't pick up, your heart is picking it up. You see, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have missed that. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.